From the pool room on Pleasure Island, it's the IGN DigiGuys. So please welcome two of the coachman's donkeys, Wade Major and Mark Kaiser. And here we are. Uh, some of you who have uh, probably been monitoring our, our long dormant uh, Stupid for Movies uh, page, either on Facebook or wherever, and on the regular stupidformovies.com, probably have now caught wind that there is, yes, at least a, uh, a um, oh, I don't want to say temporary, but there is a contingent resurrection of Stupid for Movies. There are a couple of pilot episodes for a potential new deal that have been shot and will be released in segment form, uh, I believe even in uh, complete full episode form at some point in December. We shot those yesterday. Uh, isn't that right, Mark? On the other side of the room? not Sure is. The, there we go. Yes. What, are we, what are we talking about? Talking about Stupid for Movies. Oh, yeah, we the, shot a Stupid for Movies. Brand new for the first time in two years. Yeah. It was, uh, it was crazy. The show you know that won't die. Huh? Show, it, was, it was weird walking back onto that set. It I really tell was. You. It was like... Really? I haven't been here for over two years? Because it feels like I was just here yesterday. I, I couldn't tell whether it was I've just been here yesterday or it's been 20 years. It was kind of just been here yesterday, right? It was sort of been here yesterday. Because I, it's the same set, the same the, crew. Well, they changed the set. They switched up the, the, the decor. Adam did a whole new shebang. Yeah, but for, the, but for the, us... Is red? There's a red curtains. There's light boxes. Yeah. The same chair, same table. It changed. Sitting in the same places. Well, there's a lot of new rigging for lights and so forth and so on. I mean, it's you know, it's it's like a. It's, it's been upgraded. Yes, but we're doing this for Aura TV, Aura.TV. Yes. So we shot them. Which is uh, where Larry King's new show is. That's right. Yeah. And uh, so we're hoping that uh, we can get at least a, a, a smidgen of Larry's popularity, <laughs> professionalism, yes. good gosh, graces. That, gosh, and that was exhausting, thing. though. Huh? That was exhausting. Yeah. I mean, it's like, am I just older now? I mean, did because we, we used to bang those things out. We'd just walk in, just rock and roll there it goes done come home and well, but it was like I, I just felt drained at the end of that, that well was... the thing is that when we used to do Stupid for Movies it was one hour yes and then we walked out the door and that was it now because we're doing it for a a, a website the website has certain requirements we need to say hello a certain way we need to say goodbye a certain way this show needs to be segmented a certain way so there's a lot of stuff to remember as we go through it yeah so it was a combination of Rusty. We did a bunch of segments at one time. Rusty? Yes. Who was Rusty? Uh, Rusty Staub. He was a, uh, he was a utility uh, player and pinch hitter for the New York Mets. Good. Okay, thank you. In the 70s. You. I was kidding. Uh, <laughs> uh, and the fact that TV requires that it be done a certain way, so it was a lot to remember. But each one will have a way. Each show will have a Wade rant. Yes. So the rant monkey is back. The rant monkey is back. But I'm I'm actually a little more organized this time. It's it's not uh, it's not like pull my cord and let me loose. You know, no. there's a which is yours. Some you, forethought. It's more Andy Rooney than rant monkey. Which is your way of saying no? You're still ranting. The I'm things that ranting. you're ranting on a teleprompter. Yeah. So here's there the Wade. I yes. could tell. I could tell that as I was talking about uh, the difference between doing the show before and doing it now. That you looked as if you needed water. 
I do need water. I okay. am parched. I can tell you. You you looked. You. Well, really I, I, I had my bottle. It, I had my bottle of water, and, and I picked it, it up. It's empty, and I was oh gosh. And I saw you roll your eyes. So here's yeah. what's going to happen, Wade. And this is exciting stuff. <laughs> yes. While you talk about whatever crap you're about to talk yep. about, I will go and get you some water. Okay. So give me that bottle. Give me the the bottle that you had. Oh, okay. You're going to fill my bottle up. It was out. Is that what you want? I don't know. Fill. You're going to fill my uh, fresh and easy pure drinking water. Uh, non-sponsored. Do you want to fill bre- up all? Do you want to fill sure. up all the way? Oh, sure, please. Because you'll take it home. Do it, do it. Okay. I'm going to roll through. We're going to do kid vid right now. Oh, my God. We're you know what? I would, about... I would rather watch water fill this bottle than have you listen, As some listen people to kid know, vid. As some people know, I have a nearly 10-month-old daughter. I cannot, I cannot believe that it has been that long. She is a banshee right now. Wonderful, adorable little girl. Uh, gurgling and cooing all, all like nonstop. But the uh, question is... Once we begin really exposing her to uh, video and, and kids' TV, what am I going to let her watch? Well, uh, let me go through this, and uh, I will tell you. The, uh, I, got, I got a couple of three-packs right here. One is Barney, one is Thomas and Friends. We talk a lot about Barney and Thomas and Friends. I don't know why. Barney creeps me out. I'm still amazed that there's still a Barney following out there. This is a three-movie pack from Barney, The Land of Make-Believe, Let's Make Music, and Night Before Christmas. And uh, I, you know what? It's just uh, it, it it creeps me out like nobody's like nobody's business. But it's uh, it's a good deal. As is the Thomas and Friends three pack is a pretty good deal. Thomas and Friends I also find a little bit odd. It's the it's the the, the creepy CGI uh, little train character. Uh, we've got Blue Mountain Mystery, Day of the Diesels, and Misty Island Rescue. Uh, slightly less offensive than Barney, obviously, but still a little bit creepy. But you know, not not bad for kids of a certain age. And then uh, I think actually, surprisingly, uh, not bad, and I'm not a fan of Kung Fu Panda, but uh, this particular DV and game app combination, Kung Fu Panda Legends of Awesomeness uh, and the Scorpion Sting, is, um, is, is okay. You know, it's, it's perfectly fine. I would not be offended if she saw this because it does at least have a martial arts element to it. And uh, anything that involves martial arts, I think, is, is okay for my daughter. I like Kung Fu Panda. Absolutely. Did, well, did, did you not like Kung Fu Panda, the original? Uh, not so much. Really? Not so much. You know why? Partly because the animation, you remember, it started off with that really cool, kind of aggressive 2D, uh, very Art Deco-y animation sequence at the very beginning before it gets all CGI. Do you remember that? Indeed, I do. That was hot. If the whole movie were animated like that, I'd have been all over it. That was not going to happen. I know. Mm-hmm. But uh, I did like it, and uh, you know, I have to say, I'm surprised that they haven't milked that for another well, uh, for a seven, uh, you know, Saturday morning cartoons. They're milking it for uh, stuff like this. Yes, that's true. They're milking it for stuff like this. Uh, then you know, on the girly end of things, Barbie and her sisters, a ponytail. Not in a million years is my daughter ever going to see this. Uh, this Barbie stuff just isn't happening. It's just way too. It's 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 too it's too sparkly and gooey. It's, if she's going to be a girly girl, she's just going to be a girly girl without having this stuff spoon-fed to her. Now, I'll say this. Before I show her any cartoons, I'm going to show her the movie Yes, Madam. You're familiar with Yes, Madam? Oh, please tell us all about it. Directed by Corey Yun, Hong Kong classic film from the 90s, uh, starring uh, Michelle Yeoh and Cynthia Rothrock. Women, just, just relentless. I mean, the, the finale, the martial, the martial arts choreography in the finale of this film is Cynthia Rothrock and Michelle Yeoh are laying waste to just guy after guy after guy is unreal. It is unreal. It is phenomenal. 
Uh, Beverly Hills Teens from uh, DHX Media, this is uh, volume two of this show that I am utterly unfamiliar with, is really creepy. I don't see how anybody would want their, uh, their daughters watching this. This is just dreadful. Apparently this was a thing in the 80s. Did, did, you, ever, did you ever see this? Late, no. late, late 80s? This Absolutely is like not. This is horrendous, man. I'm, I can't believe this was actually on television. This is like the worst role modeling for kids I've ever seen in my life. I mean, this this like like Beverly Hills 90210 look like uh, like PBS. It's it's just dreadful that this was actually on television. So that's that's kind of creepy, man. Uh, Beverly Hills teens, keep that away from your kids. Not good. Uh, Sarah, Superhuman Samurai Cyber Squad, all with S's. Cyber spelled with an S. Volume two. Never heard of this either. This is also a DHX Media thing. Uh, very Japanese. Very, uh, very much a rip-off of Power Rangers. Um, I don't know how you can actually rip off Power Rangers and be worse than Power Rangers, but somehow, somehow it actually almost manages to do that. Uh, so that's also unimpressive. Um, a solo Barney title here called Perfectly Purple, The Color, and Friendsh- the Color of Friendship and Fun. Uh, the only reason I mention this is because there is a very disturbing sticker on this thing. If you see this on, on store shelves, this is you know just a handful of episodes from Barney. It's it's you know a pretty generic title, but there's a sticker on this thing that is chilling. It says, "Mark, celebrating over 25 years with 25 million hugs," and then it says, "ShareBarneyHugs.com." Now. What am I supposed to make of that? I don't know. It's a 25 for kids. years? 25 years? He's been around for 25 years? Ah, he's old and bitter. 25, 25 million hugs? A million hugs a year? Um, I'm not sure how they got the hug statistic, but uh, the 25 years I can see. A million hugs a year? That, that breaks down to like, like thousands of hugs a day. That's creepy. I, you know what? I have two words for you Jerry and Sandusky. <laughs> kind of punchy this evening. Uh, moving along real quickly, uh, the books of Sam McBratney uh, are brought to life in Guess How Much I Love You, The Adventures of Little Nut Brown Hair. And this is really sweet. It's very uh, kind of Beatrix Potter. Nice 2D animation. Very, very sweet. Very cool. Great episodes here. Uh, Hidden Treasure, Finders Keepers, It's Okay, Slip, Stop, Slip, Slop, Slide, Inside Day, Where's Little Redwood Fox and Snowflake. I actually find this really, really charming. Uh, hadn't heard of it before, but that's a good one. Kid, the kid will be watching that. Uh, the Hive, Busby's Family Adventures. This is one, I, I don't know, you know, this is on Disney Junior. This is some show uh, with these strange creatures that are supposed to be bees, but they look more like, I don't know, what, how would you describe those? They look more like gumdrops? It doesn't, you know, it's, it's Kidvid. It's Honestly, Kidvid is the worst. You know what, oh look, through. Here's, a, here's a piece of Ruggler with eyes. It's called the Ruggler Kids. And it's for Jewish children, and it's, uh, they sing the Ruggler Kids song at the beginning, and then, oh, look, here's another one. It's, a, it's, a, oh it, it's like an orange with a nose. Oh, it's the orange nose kids. It's just, it's so easy. I don't know why I didn't get into KidVid. I don't know. Well, anyway, uh, a couple of things here that uh, my daughter might be into if I sort of allow her to go in the girly girl direction, uh, which is not certain. My Little Pony, Friendship is Magic, A Pony for Every Season, and the Angelina Ballerina uh, Twirling Tales. 
uh, twirling, whirling tales of friendship and fun. Uh, I, you know, the Angelina ballerina thing, the uh, the ballet dancing mouse is is kind of creepy as well as on that Barney scale. The My Little Pony stuff, it's okay. You know, we, we like we like ponies with all the little hair that that goes back a no, long. No, girls ways. like ponies. Girls love hair. ponies. Men, men do not like that way. Uh, you know, so I'll I'll watch it with her if if need be. Uh, fairy tale fun, Sesame Street. This is uh, Sesame Street going fairy tale. And you have a full-length video here that I think is hilarious called Cinder Elmo. Are you ready for that? Cinder Elmo? Uh, it's brilliant. See, it's Cinderella, but it's Cinder Elmo. Yeah, that's great. You got that? Yeah, that's great. Yeah. Uh, you also have, uh, it's, it's all, you know, Big Bird helps Hansel and Gretel and, uh, you know, Jack be nimble, uh, Jack be quick thing with the Muppets. And, uh, you know, Kermit talks about Cinderella's fairy godmother. It's just all these little segments that obviously have fairy tale connections. That's all right. It's pretty fun. Uh, talking about weird CGI trains again, better than Thomas, but marginally, is Chuggington, Chief Wilson. Oh, Chuggington. Yeah. That sounds cute. I'm on board. Just, it's just more trains with faces. And we're going to be talking about planes later, too, which is, you know, it's, it's the, 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 the cars thing transitioned to planes. Dud. Yeah. Dud. We're going to be talking about that in the, uh, in the regular segment. Dud. Uh, so anyway, you know, that's, uh, that's the thing. Uh, moving on to a little bit more uh, kind of adult-ish stuff. We've got, um, well, not adultish, but, you know, kind of more serious animation. Disney's Gravity Falls, Six Strange Tales. You ever seen Gravity Falls? I have not. Actually, not bad. Animation's cool. Writing's good. Pretty solid. Uh, got six episodes here. Uh, totally unfamiliar with this, but actually, I'm, I'm impressed. Uh, you know, Disney's, Disney's doing some new stuff that's not completely uh, just mercenary, and that's... I guess there's something to be said about that. Uh, Tad, The Lost Explorer. This is uh, the voice and characterizations by Ariel Winter and Cheech Marin on Blu-ray 3D. Utterly pointless, but nonetheless, the regular Blu-ray is not bad. Uh, this is kind of, you know, Indiana Jones-ish in uh, 3D animation. Uh, this is from Vivendi, and uh, it's okay. It's, uh, you know, it, if, if you've seen, if your kids have seen the Indiana Jones movies, I think they'll appreciate it more. They'll, they'll understand it's kind of a riff. But uh, otherwise, not bad. And then a Blu-ray, Blu-ray DVD combo pack, Transformers Prime, Beast Hunters, Predacons Rising. Uh, you know, I never got into Transformers, not when I was a kid, not the original incarnation. I hate the movies. The movies are horrible. And all of these television incarnations that uh, continue to be milked, it just, uh, I, I, it, it's the same stuff over and over and over and over. I just don't know how they keep it going. This is, uh, I, I guess, if you're a Transformers fan, you know, this kind of feeds the beast, but uh, whatever, it's, you know, it, it just feels, it just feels like it's belabored, very heavily belabored. And then uh, kind of wrapping things out, uh, Ben 10 Omniverse, Aliens at War, just maintains that whole Ben 10 thing, it, you know, two discs and ten episodes. And he's Ben 10, and he's fighting aliens and saving the Earth and all that jazz. It's the same, same stuff over and over. Uh, totally Spies Collection, Seasons 1, 2, and 3. Something else I was totally unfamiliar with. Uh, this apparently is about 10 years old. Did you ever heard of this when this ran? Totally Spies? No. Man, am I out of touch with like the kid stuff. I, I, well, because yeah. that was a time when we were, not, we were too old to watch that. And yeah. Why did we care that it existed? Know. you know how many Saturday morning TV shows exist now we've never heard of? Yeah, I know. Well, anyway, uh, this is about uh, three girls who are basically, you know, uh, Charlie's Angels type animation spies. They're, you know, they're, they're three girls 
from high school and they uh, they become spies and international crime fighters. It's sort of, I guess, you know, a little bit like uh, Josie and the Pussycats, except they don't play music, which is too bad, but they're cute. I like them. I, I don't mind my daughter role modeling after them. That's Aww. all right. Totally spies. That stays in the, on the shelf. And then lastly, uh, if you are just big on wanting to be uh, an artist yourself, you know, I was on uh, NPR's Film Week on Friday, and we were talking about uh, the, the, new, um, the new documentary. Uh, Star Wars? No, uh, thank you, Mr. Watterson. Yes, uh, which, right? which, you know what? I'm a huge Calvin and Hobbes fan. I... Man, that is a great doc. Yeah. That is a great doc. And it's a funny thing. I didn't even know this until we sat in the studio that... Um, the director, who is a graduate of USC, his wife works there at the, at the station at KPCC. Oh, is that right? Yeah. So a lot of the people there gave to the Kickstarter campaign to get this documentary funded. And I was very happy that I wasn't there, you know, dissing the, the poor guy's movie in front of his wife because it's a great film. It's a terrific doc. It's it really funny. Is. Even though they don't talk to Watterson. But they talk to everyone else. Yeah. And they talk to, like, some of the great currently living and uh, cartoonists, including Berkeley Brathed, you know, who is who did Bloom County and Opus, and you know, as he even points out in the film, he, during the '80s, he and and Watterson were like the guys; they were the two. And uh, he talks about his correspondence with Watterson, and it's it's, but it's really a, it's a great, great, great doc, and it goes to the heart of everything that's sort of poisoning the arts right now and poisoning media, and uh, you know, it makes you just have a whole new appreciation for great, great drawing and. With that, I transition over here to uh, Drawing with Mark, which are uh, a couple of really, really two uh, discs, each one with two episodes from the show Drawing with Mark, um, where you learn, and you could be a really young kid, and this is super instructive, where kids can learn actually how to draw, how to do their own cartoons and uh, do their own comics, and it's pretty great. I had never seen this show prior to this, but uh, it's pretty great. Each of these uh, two discs has two episodes on them. One of them has Ice Cream and Happy Trails. The other, uh, Dinosaurs and Space. And uh, I, uh, if I were younger, I think I would totally sit down with pen and paper and uh, learn to draw. But I, at this point, I just, like, I've got so many other things to do, so many things on my plate. Uh, stuff that I can't even get to because the, uh, the baby is just enormously time-consuming. So I'm usually doing work, by the way. You know, I'm... Do you know when I actually do most of my my writing and my film watching and all that stuff? I'm going to guess this is at a time when most people are sleeping. It's it's at a time when most people are are beyond sleeping. They're they're in REM. They're in deep REM, from 8 p.m. to 3 a.m. Sometimes 4 a.m. Okay, nobody's sleeping between 8 and midnight. So forget that part of it. Yes, you could say between midnight and three. Mm. That would be impressive. Mm-hmm. And by the way, I'm, I'm one of those people who wishes that, although I love sleeping, sleep, just sleep is great. I do wish I could like, get by on four hours a night. Yeah. I'd get so much work done. Yeah. Well, like, so, many more, so many more episodes of Family Guy on, <laughs> on Netflix and uh, on TiVo. Oh, man. Star Trek The Next Generation. You. I'll tell you. It's, it's a thing, right? It's a deal. Oh, and by the way, by the way, we should point out we are off next week. Uh, for we, presumably, I could say we're off because of Thanksgiving for you know the American Thanksgiving holiday. But truth be told, uh, Mark and I are getting into crunch time for the LA Film Critics uh, year-end voting, and uh, we are way behind the eight ball on that. We uh, we need some time to actually watch the screeners that will invariably pile up that week because that's when we get uh, inundated with them. That's when the avalanche hits. And the thing is that this most years I go to New York for Thanksgiving. Yeah, which means that that 
removes another five days of yeah. movie watching for me. Now, this year I'm in town for Thanksgiving. So I'm hoping that um, you will be able to, I'll be able uh, to ke- catch up. I'm going to try, man. I, it's, but it's, honestly, I've, got, I've broken it down. I gave you a copy of my database, didn't I? With the yeah, you know, you did give me a copy of the database, but FileMaker doesn't work. The program doesn't work. Oh, it, does it? It, no, it asks for a uh, password or something, and oh, then uh, sorry, it okay, do I didn't, it. I didn't design it correctly. Anyway, uh, I, I gave Mark a copy of the database that you I did. used to keep track. Well, of no, because I can't. Um... All right, I will make it work for you. Anyway, the uh, yeah, I've broken it down. I've, I've categorized it and prioritized. I've got something like 13, 14, 15 major films that I figure, okay, these are the must-see movies. And then I've got about 16 or 17 others that uh, I need to see, I guess, for things like you know, cinematography and supporting actor and actress and screenplay and junk like that. So I, it, it, it comes down to something like about 15 must-see movies and then, if, and then about another 18 more that I... I'm going to try to see. So it's about 33 movies. And we have how much time now? How much time do we have before we vote? Well, about three weeks. Oh, jeez. So that's like ten movies a week. That's pretty much two movies, almost two movies a day for the next three weeks solid. That's ah, screw that. Lame. So anyway, I'll, after... I'll just pretend I saw it. So this, uh, after this show, next week we are off, and then we are back on the week after that with our, our holiday show. And, uh, Mark, holiday show is going to be great. It's going to be great. It's going to be epic. It's, it's going to be epic. We're going to have, we get giveaways. I already got some fantastic giveaways, incredible giveaways. You are not even going to believe the giveaways that I have, I have sorted out for that show. You won't believe it. I'll tell you after the show. It's going to amaze you. Fantastic giveaways. People are going to be, they're going to go nuts. They're going to go crazy. They'll be jumping off of rooftops. It'll be, fan, it'll be, it'll be amazing. People will die. Raining cats and dogs. Cats, cats and, and dogs, dogs living, living together. together. There oh, we go. my God. <laughs> did we really do that? Yes, we did. <laughs> We're doomed. All right, can I talk about Star Trek? Go ahead, Generation? do it. Jesus do it, rock on. Christ. All right, Zoe, we got two Star Trek things for you. Yep. We got Star Trek The Next Generation Season 5 on Blu-ray. This is one of my favorite Star Trek uh, seasons. Uh, this includes Disaster, which I like. Good one. Um, the game I didn't like because it had Wesley Crusher in it. I hate Wesley Crusher. Mm. Although Ashley Judd's in it. That's cool. Um, cause and effect is always one of my favorites. I like cause and effect. It's where they get caught in this like causality loop thing. Like, mm-hmm. They keep having to experience the, the the destruction of the Enterprise over and over again until they figure it out. I always like that one. Um, and of course, the inner light, which is one of the best ones ever. Way the inner light. That's one where Picard uh, lives an entire lifetime. Oh, that's great. And then he plays a flute at the end. Remember that one? Oh, that's an outstanding you episode. You don't know what I'm talking about. I do. About. No, Actually, I totally Family do. Guy did a very funny... Uh, uh, oh, um, man. I won't tell you what Family Guy did. Um, well, okay. So what you get is you get the season five, which looks great on Blu-ray, and it's got a bunch of um, special features on it, which is fine. But, but most importantly, um, it's a great season for the show. The season was in top form, season five. Now, as a separate DVD or Blu-ray, uh, you can get if you want, and you can't maybe can't afford the entire season five set. They are releasing Unification on its own separate Blu-ray. Unification is the two-part episode that featured uh, Leonard Nimoy as Ambassador Spock. Now, at the time, this is a big deal that Leonard Nimoy would um, return to Star Trek in this two-part episode. Um, I think this episode is fine. I have to say that the uh, uh, um, that the costume that they put Spock in is ridiculous with those huge shoulder pads. 
making him look like he has a big square body. Mm-hmm. And I think Picard looked ridiculous as a Klingon or Romulan, whatever he played. I forgot. Um, so it, this is okay. I mean, it's nice. Uh, you know, they bring Denise Crosby back. So I, I think this is fine. But um, compared to everything else that's on season five, I consider this a average episode, only only enlivened by the fact that it is Leonard Nimoy. It was kind of historic for the time. Um, so you can get Unification on its own separate Blu-ray set, or you can do what you should do, which is get the whole season five, because season five was a really good season. Killer. Go. Treme, the complete third season on uh, Blu-ray and DVD. You've got the Blu-ray here. It looks gorgeous. All the HBO shows are just uh, stunning on Blu-ray. HBO just really nails it, as, as does parent company Warner. You know, I assume uh, it's a lot of the same uh, process. Uh, you know, what's interesting about the third season of Treme is that they, they, it's completely, uh, it, it completely integrates Hurricane Katrina into the backdrop of uh, you know, everything that's going on in New Orleans. And how can you not? So... That's interesting uh, that they make that very, very much a part of the narrative of the show and how everything's coming back, but how these certain, there are certain problems that this entails. Uh, not having religiously followed Treme and really only being only vaguely familiar with the first two seasons, I gotta say, you, you, you watch a few episodes, third season, you, you pretty much uh, very easily get the sense of what's going on. And I understand why this has a loyal following, if not a broad following. There are a lot of people that are really, really into this show. So, uh, yeah, I, I get it. It's got some really good people in the cast, too. Terrific cast. Um, Melissa Leo's here doing just outstanding work, as opposed to the freaking crazy movie that I had to see her in last week where she's hardly in it. Uh, Kim Dickens, whom I've always loved, great on this show. And uh, David Morris. Can that guy do wrong at all? That guy, he's one of those survivors, man. man. That guy just works. He just, he's just great in everything he does. Yep. Cool. And Steve Zahn, if you've been wondering where Steve Zahn is, here he is. Here he is, doing great. So anyway, that's for me, the third uh, season, the complete third season. Fourth season, of course, uh, is starting later this year. I believe end of December is when the, uh, the fourth season kicks in. Tons of special features here on uh, the music and the culture of New Orleans, the music from the actual show. Um, uh, just gobs and gobs. The, uh, uh, the Neville bro- thing on the Neville Brothers... Um, behind Treme, David Simon talks about uh, you know his his work as well. Tons of audio commentaries, music commentaries. It's a it's a really nice set. So for fans, absolutely fantastic. Uh, and then a couple other TV things before we get into uh, are we going to do all, uh, classic films or new films? Uh, which is in your hand right now? The last two TV things. Oh, this is this. Okay, just so that you see in the in these piles over here, this is classic. This is new. This. Is foreign. Well, the classic films has a couple of really good things in there, including a an essential Criterion. Yes. That I actually bought. There's a Criterion in there that you paid for. Yes. Okay. Because well then, uh, Barnes and Noble had its fifty percent off sale, and that was available at fifty percent off. Okay. Well, then we'll do we'll do we'll do the classic films. Because I know that you're not going to give me. We'll that. do the class. Of course not. We'll do the classic films because I, I, I then we can also talk about uh, the 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 incident related to uh, Ed Harris uh, ten years ago at the Egyptian. You love telling this story. I love telling that story. Okay, Touched by an Angel, the ninth and final season. Mark, go ahead and say that the final season, Touched by an Angel. We're never going to talk about this again, ever again, on DVD. So long, sucker. Yeah, I knew you'd like that. Uh, so touched by an angel, courtesy of Paramount and CBS. Where exactly did the angel touch you? No, no extras on this, uh, as there never have been. This show was huge for so long, and uh, 
it just belongs to a certain period, you know? This just comes from... It's a CBS show. It's very from CBS. That, but from that, it feels from that murder... CBS. It feels CBS from that murder she wrote, yeah, Matlock era. Yeah, from that era when CBS was known for, for some reason, catering to an older demographic. Yeah. And then lastly, I think this is great, and this is going to mean nothing to anybody unless you're from a, a very particular generation, a generation older than I, but uh, being a real uh, a big, huge fan of classic television uh, from earlier all the way back into the 50s, I just think this is great. Here's Edie, the Edie Adams television collection. Uh, today, nobody knows who Edie Adams was, but uh, wow, what a great show this was. From uh, 1962 to 1964, one of the best variety shows of the period. Uh, there were gosh, the '60s were just loaded with great variety shows. I mean, oh, whether it was Dean Martin, the Tom, here's Tom Jones, on and on and on and on. I mean, that was just a great period for variety. Judy Garland, gosh, that was a, just a, an amazing era. And uh, this is a wonderful, wonderful show. So many great performances. Uh, and if you don't know anything about Edie Adams, gosh, she's good. She's just so charming. And such a great television uh, personality. It, it just, it's phenomenal. Now, the, the thing that you have to know about Edie Adams in particular, uh, you've seen her in certain movies. You've probably seen her in things like It's a Mad, 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 Mad World, right? She's in that. Uh, she's, she was in a lot of stuff, but she was also married to Ernie Kovacs. And Ernie, of course, the legendary pioneer of, of television comedy that's kind of on the edge. I mean, there wouldn't be a lot of things like, you know, if you watch Jimmy Kimmel, if you watch... Uh, Jimmy Fallon, if you watch Conan, a lot of that stuff. Letterman, they, they borrow Ernie Kovacs left and right. So this was a power couple. They were phenomenal. Uh, she's just so great. And there, you know, Shirley MacLaine, uh, Duke Ellington, Sammy Davis Jr., Bob Hope. Tons of people show up on these uh, on these episodes. It is a great it is a great show. And uh, this is every single solitary episode, twenty one complete episodes over the course of two years, and a sixteen page bonus booklet, uh, bonus footage of uh, musical performances. That she did on her husband's shows, because Ernie Kovacs did a lot of specials on TV. Great stuff. This is just treasure, treasure television. All right, Mark. Yes, we're sir. Gonna, we're going to talk about some. Uh, we're going to talk about classic movies. Let's do it, Wade. But you know, first off, to me, oh jeez, to me, the big classic this week, yes, is the right stuff. Blu-ray, 30th anniversary edition. I agree. Although there is another one, the Criterion is pretty up. There yes, too. it is, and I will, I will, I will unleash you on on the Criterion. Oh, but, so but, good. and I agree that's that. But the right stuff is. Th- here's what I find really interesting. Mm, In nineteen, what? no, hear me, hear, hear me out here, because this tells you the difference. If you want to judge the the different personality profiles of the different studios, this is very, very telling. In uh, 1983, there were two films, two big films in the running for Best Picture at the Academy Awards. Two huge films. One was a Warner Brothers film. Uh, the other one was a Paramount film. Do you remember what they were? Oh, it was uh, Star Wars and uh, Star Wars. Uh, yes. The Warner Brothers film was The Right Stuff, and the Paramount film was Terms of Endearment. And I, of course, was rooting for The Right Stuff because I, I'm, I'm male. And uh, at the end of the day, of course, you know, my gender lost out, and Terms of Endearment won Best Picture in 1983. Okay? Now, flash forward 30 years. Warner Brothers is giving the right stuff a big, splashy 30th anniversary Blu-ray over-the-rainbow release, just gobsmacked with all kinds of great extras. And in just a matter of weeks, Terms of Endearment is also coming to Blu-ray, courtesy of Warner Brothers, with no, almost no extras. Because Paramount doesn't give because two Because Paramount doesn't give any craps about their classic movies 
and they have now sublicensed that to Warner Brothers. Now, how sad is that? The film that actually won that year is being dissed by its own studio, and the film that lost is being honored by its studio. Well, I think I don't, that it's says... Just so, it's so bizarre to me. It's so through the looking glass. Well, that says more about the studios than the it films. It does. And no, it does, absolutely. Warner Brothers has the largest film library in the world, and they know it's a classic, and they know it's not, and they, they really pull out all the stops for a lot of their classic films. They do a great job. Paramount doesn't care. I'm just offended they by Paramount. They just don't care. They farm out a lot of their well, stuff to other smaller companies. Anyway... Yes. Here's the thing. Right stuff. Uh, the vid- best. Video, amazing. Absolutely best. amazing. The, uh, the uh, Caleb Deschanel cinematography, he, of course, being the father of Zoe Deschanel. Uh, it, that's some, it's some of the best natural light cinematography you will ever see in your life. It is a fantastically beautiful film. The grain looks gorgeous. It is a, it is a first-rate transfer. Audio, just stunning. You forget how great that film is. You watch that, the subwoofer just goes into overdrive. It is just so awesome. Uh, everything in that movie just so works on a technical level. Menus, crap, total crap on this on this Blu-ray. It, it put nothing into the menus. It's like uh, it's like a DVD from uh, from 1972. It's uh, there's nothing in the menus. It's no animation, no there's nothing. That, that that is not a reason not to buy it. Not a reason not to buy it. But it's, I just thought, really, you put all this all this effort into this, and you didn't even have somebody like like, like there's no nothing. No, that's it. Just a, a static card in the menu. Uh, some great uh, commentaries with selected scenes in this thing. Um, there are a heap of documentaries. Uh, the best one is probably Realizing the Right Stuff, which is uh, you know almost a half an hour long from 2003 that was originally on the DVD. Um, so most people have seen it, but it's worth watching again. This thing called T-20 Years and Counting, um, which is about visual effects primarily. The Real Men with the Right Stuff featurette about the the actual guys, you know, everybody from Chuck Yeager to, to you know Gordon Cooper. Lots of deleted scenes, you know, about about a baker's dozen of them, and uh, a really cool interactive timeline to space, and uh, you know, a bunch of other stuff that is just absolutely first rate. And then there's also inside the little digibook deal, there's a uh, there's a letter from Philip Kaufman that actually references. The 20th anniversary screening at the American Cinematheque, the Egyptian theater in uh, Hollywood, where we were when you leaned over to me and said, what do you think they'd do if I just ran down and I just like clocked Ed Harris in the face? And then how long would it take you? you how, many, how far do you think I would come close to, to running out before they'd tackle me? Well, for longtime <laughs> listeners of the show, they know that I, I used to have this concept called the rampaging blank. Yes. Where it'd be like the rampage. Like, like, I think it started with the rampaging extra. It did. Where the thing is that if I was an extra on a movie and I just decided to go on a horrible rampage and just started destroying sets and clocking people in the face, how long would it take before security tackled me? Yes. And I would figure maybe like 10, 12 seconds. And then I would become like the rampaging this, the rampaging that. And for the right stuff, I became the, 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 uh, the rampaging uh, special screening uh, awesome. audience member. And I turned away and I said, right now, if I ran up to the stage, because they were all lined up. You know, Caleb Deschanel was there and, uh, yep. and Ed Harris was there and the cast was there. I said, if I just ran up to the stage right now and just clocked Ed Harris in the MF face, <laughs> how long do you think it would take before? I think people would be so stunned that would probably buy me about seven seconds. Totally. And then after that, when Ed Harris is just like like an older man, he's just on just writhing on the ground, then I think security would come after me. I would I think I'd have a good fifteen to seventeen seconds. And I and I just pictured myself literally just running a dead sprint <laughs> down the aisle 
People would go, what's that guy doing? What's oh, my God. And then they'd come get me. I figure that's 15, 17 seconds. A good 15, 17 seconds for sure. Yes. Yeah, I think so. There you go. <laughs> All right, wait, that's enough about that. So anyway, right stuff. That's, yep. a, that's a must buy this essential. week. It's just, that's essential. That movie just so holds up. Yep. Uh, gosh, Sam Shepard as Chuck Yeager is so good. And that's the other thing that, that, um, that Kaufman says in the... Um, uh, it says on, on on the disc and in, in the I think it's in the letter where he says you know the Chuck Yeager he didn't uh, you know Sam Shepard didn't look like Chuck Yeager he didn't sound like Chuck Yeager but he felt like Chuck Yeager he felt like Chuck Yeager and I got to thinking I'm like you know what that's exactly the we I, and I think I said this uh, on our Superstar movies thing as well about uh, Tom Hanks in uh, Saving Mr Banks he doesn't look like Walt Disney he doesn't sound like Walt Disney but he feels like Walt Disney. And that, I think, is the secret to great casting if you're dealing with a historical figure. Don't look for somebody who's going to exactly resemble them. It's one reason why I think all that presidential casting in The Butler is so crap. Because everybody's just trying too hard. They're all trying to do like a, a Rich Little impersonation. Robin Williams? Oh, my God. It's dreadful. There's nothing about Robin Williams that in any way even vaguely connects you to, uh, to Eisenhower, as opposed to the right stuff, where they got a guy who, you know, for one or two lines... Test pilots. I want test pilots. That's as much as you see of Eisenhower in that film. But at least he looks like it. I'll say the butler is uh, falling off the radar. Thank falling goodness. Off deserved the radar. to. It I deserved saw, to. I saw the movie twice. Did you really? Well, my, my, I saw it and then my, my mother wanted to see it, so I went back twice. You are a glutton for punishment. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Uh, Wade, City Lights, Wade. Uh-huh. What can you say about City Lights? 1931. Uh-huh. This is, uh, to me, this is the ultimate... Uh-huh. This is the ultimate version of the tramp character. Oh. Obviously, this is the one where he falls in love with the blind flower girl. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> and who this are, is just delightful and graceful and poignant and moving. Who but, and who what? but Chaplin could make a movie about a blind flower girl I and can, have it not be just maudlin and disgustingly sentimental, but I genuinely moving? I could. Like, that is so gutsy. I could. It's just unbelievable. Like, imagine if Adam Sandler made a movie about a blind flower girl. Could I buy some flowers? <laughs> It'd be just horrible. You know what's what, what? The one thing I find fascinating about Chaplin is how is how he stubbornly resisted sound. Yeah. You know. Yeah. I mean, he was making sound movies well into the '30s. Yeah, but he was making sound movies that were basically silent movies. I mean, I'm sorry, he was making silent movies in, into the '30s. Yeah, but but he they, they were you know even st- something like The Last Dictator is still kind of a silent movie. It really is. And and it, modern it, times. I modern mean, times. by the time modern times came out, there was no reason for him movie. not to make a sound film. He just didn't want to. It isn't until Limelight where you really get something that sort of says, "Okay, fine, the sound thing is here to stay." Uh, he also married a very young person. <laughs> yeah. How old was his? Wife? He he married like a thirteen-year-old or something. Uh, was it was it Una? Was no, it? no. Uh, Una wasn't. Uh, no, Una wasn't a little girl. Her dad would have would have broken his legs. Um, anyway, uh, anyway, so City Lights, it looks absolutely fantastic. It's um, Criterion just did a bang up job. There's a new new audio commentary by a Chaplin biographer Jeffrey Vance, which I very much enjoyed. Because there's a new audio commentary by Chaplin, I was going, whoa, that's a, oh, that's scary. Okay. Uh, there's some uh, vintage footage from the production of City Lights, mm-hmm. uh, including some stuff, some uh, footage from the set, which is totally awesome. Uh, there's also a uh, a piece of an old Chaplin short film from 1915 called The Champion. Yeah, and, which is great, and I oh. cannot I cannot recommend this enough. This is a must buy along with Right Stuff. This is uh, City Lights, Charlie Chaplin, an all time classic from 1920. Uh, no, 1931. Mm-hmm. Uh, he started shooting it in 1928, I believe. But mm-hmm. 
There you go. City Lights, do it. Fantastic. Yep. Absolutely wonderful. Must buy. You know what else is a must buy, Mark? I got to, I got to be honest. I, I This movie is so... I am. This is near and dear to my heart, and a lot of people just didn't get this, but Peter Weir can do no wrong for me. Uh, the Warner Archive Collection has been, of course, releasing Blu-rays now for a few months, and uh, there are a lot of great Blu-rays, like the Hudsucker Proxy that came out on Blu-ray, uh, and, uh, and uh, the, uh, the Legend of uh, Greystoke, the Tarzan film starring Christopher Lambert, uh, directed by Hugh Hudson, came out as part of the Warner Archive Blu-ray series. Now we have Jeff Bridges, Isabella Rossellini, and Rosie Perez in Fearless, which is, you know, I'm, I'm glad it's there on Blu-ray. I'm sorry that, it, like the others, it, uh, they didn't perceive that it had enough of a following to be outside the Warner Archive uh, release. But, man, this is a great film, and so many people just did not get this. One of Jeff Bridges' best ever performances. Rosie Perez is phenomenal in this, by the way. She got an Oscar nomination very deservedly. Um, Adapted by uh, Rafael Iglesias from his novel. Uh, Jeff Bridges basically plays a guy, he and Rosie Perez, two people who survive a a plane crash. And it's all about how this changes, completely changes his outlook on life and everything else. And... Unbelievable cinematography, especially of the whole crash sequence from Alan Davyao. This is one of the great films of 1993, 20 years ago, a year that also gave us, among other things, Schindler's List and, you know, uh, the Joy Luck Club and uh, Remains of the Day and The Piano. I mean, that year was just phenomenal. That was the last great year. This year is looking like it might be on par, but 93 was just through the roof. That was amazing how good that year was. I think this is an incredible film. I, I like this film a lot. I think this is t- a totally overlooked film in yeah. Weir's Over. And I remember, um, you know, in um, 95, I, you remember, I was hit by a van. One yeah. I was hit by a van, yeah. flew, flew through the air. I remember the, that. I remember I that. I did the whole nine yards with the oh ambulance and uh, the guys crowded around me. And I remember re-watching that film a couple years after that. It was like on VHS or something. And you really get a sense of like, if you can survive something like that, I mean, again, I mean, he's in the movie. He survives a plane crash. Yes. I mean, I survived something that was terrible, but it wasn't like, you know. But I remember thinking that when you survive something like that, it's true. You do feel like you're maybe you're invincible, or maybe there's God, or maybe maybe I'm a little bit special. You know, yeah. you you have these weird visions. There's a and and I should and full disclosure. I should say one reason why I connected so strongly to this film in 90, is in '93 exactly. Is because in uh, almost exactly, I mean, we're now here, you know, middle of November, but on, uh, it was like November 3rd, I think it was, 93, there was a horrendous brush fire that uh, blew, you know, there were a lot of brush fires in Southern California then, but this was one that started in the San Fernando Valley, blew through Malibu, wiped out over 350 homes. Uh, and I saw I I was that that was the worst single worst day of my life. Uh, you know, our, our home survived. It was the only one on the ridge. The ne- next door, everything in the backyard, three houses below, all burned to the ground. I evacuated the home when uh, the fire was right there. You know, at night I watched uh, probably about a dozen neighbors' homes burn to the ground. I mean that you know, and and it's it's horrific because you you leave, you evacuate, you have no idea if you're going to come back to rubble with everything that uh, you know, every material possession of value in your entire life is it going to be there? Sometimes you even start to think, do I even evacuate? Do I take my risk? Do I do I you know stick it out right stuff style? And you really do go through all of these emotions that uh, kind of push you to the edge. And I remember seeing Fearless, 
maybe gosh this came out probably what uh, early December was that when it when it came out I just don't remember anyway I remember seeing Fearless right after that and it just it hit me like a ton of bricks it was it was it, almost like it was speaking to me on some kind of a spiritual level and uh, you know it's true when you go through an experience like that suddenly you connect to the, you know the film speaks to you on on a much deeper level and boy I'll tell you this movie resonates it is out on Blu-ray thank goodness finally because the DVD was crap. Couldn't agree more. Uh, Wade, uh, there's a cult classic that you got to see. And, and I'm telling you guys, you got to rent this. This is, uh, I mean, it's an older film, but uh, I'm telling you, you're going to dig it. It's from 1976. It's called Assault on Precinct 13. Uh, Precinct 13. Now, this is a uh, John Carpenter film, an early John Carpenter film. And what's great about this movie is that it is very tense. And uh, what I love about it is that Carpenter did this film for $100,000. Is that all? That's all he's all he was given. The remake was like eight or nine million, wasn't yeah, it? And of course, the remake is that much better. Yeah. Uh, no, it's not. Uh, and you know, I, as everybody knows, it's kind of a famous story that Carpenter had wanted to basically set Rio Bravo in the modern times, um, and budget budget wise, he couldn't really do that, so he kind of refashioned his script and just made it into this siege on this precinct. And this is in 76, folks. You know, this is back when New York was a cesspool and our urban centers were crumbling. And something like this really was destined to become a cult classic. And it did become a cult classic. And I think it's great. This is John Carpenter at his early, hungriest best. Um, It's got a good cast. It's a terrific uh, DVD, uh, uh, Blu-ray. Uh, from Scream Factory, because we love Scream Factory. Yeah. Written and directed by Carpenter. Carpenter, of course, did the score. Love Carpenter scores. He's awesome. So I would go ahead and rent this. Forget the 2005 version with Ethan Hawke. It's lame. Get the original Assault on Precinct 13. You know what else uh, Scream Factory, the division of Shot Factory, is doing? In another cult film, Blu-ray DVD combo pack this week. Collector's edition of Night of the Comet, one of my favorite cult movies of the 80s this is so awesome 1984 um, this film stars Catherine Mary Stewart who uh, was a bit of a big deal at the time uh, Last Starfighter right? Yeah. yeah awful don't know what happened to her but anyway also written and directed by Tom Eberhardt don't know what happened to him but this movie is so much fun basically it's kind of a post-apocalyptic movie. Um, the, the, it's sort of. I mean, what happens is a comet like flies a little too close to the Earth, and uh, it kind of like wipes out everything, and uh, only a handful of people survive. And it's like this. You know, what would you do if you're just? It, you know, it's not. It's not quite last man on Earth. But it kind of is like the last bunch of teenagers on Earth. You know, what would you do? It's like, hey, right on, party, right? Except there's like also some mutants in there. It's a very off-the-wall, very cool, groovy, little kind of tweaked sort of cult film. I think it's an awful lot of fun. has one of my all-time favorite lines in any movie ever, uh, which is where one of these mutiny guys says, I- I'm not crazy. I just don't give an F. Very funny. He didn't say give did. an F. Well, he didn't, but anyway. Uh, there is a new audio commentary here uh, and all new interviews with the uh, the stars of the movie, including Catherine Mary Stewart, uh, who uh, doesn't tell us exactly you know where she vanished to, but it's nice to hear her again, of course. And although I wish, what what where, where is she? Like, why isn't you know make a new movie? Come on, you're not that old. You're not like you know, ninety so, or something. Sometimes it's these guys they don't get offered the scripts, I they guess. can't get the funding. You know how it is. Anyway, and then of course you get the trailer, and uh, that's about it. But anyway, it's really fun. Blu-ray DVD combo pack, Night of the Comet, at least rent it. I would say own it. It's a lot of fun. 
Uh, what's not a lot of fun is a, uh, a Gregory Hines film from the uh, early 90s called, I think it was called the early 90s, from, uh, yeah, 1990, Eve of Destruction. Now, I remember when Eve of Destruction came out, and it seemed kind of cool, but, you know, years later you realize it's just stupid. Um, this movie is kind of a thriller. It is about a, a robot, a sexy robot called Eve 8. And uh, Gregory Hines plays this counterintelligence guy who's going to track down Eve 8 because Eve 8... Eve 8 is uh, equipped with a nuclear bomb that's going to go off and she's like locked in like battlefield mode and she's going to run around and kill people and the bomb might go off. I just love the fact that you have a sexy robot. You have a robot named Eve 8 who is a, basically a walking nuclear bomb. That's wonderful. And it's about to go off. That's great. And what does she do in the film? Because she's a robot and she's got to kill people. Mm-hmm. She goes into a store, buys a red jacket and a miniskirt. That's what she does in this film. You're like, really? Now, you know, and, and just when you think this is like some feminist, you know, treaties on whatever, it's just not. It's just a stupid mm-hmm. movie. So Gregory Hines, uh, who is no longer with us, but he had a pretty uh, interesting career, did a lot of good films. Um, not a lot of great films, a lot of good films. He stars in this as the counterintelligence agent. Um, I'm kind of glad Screen Factory brought this out, only because it did kind of have a blip at the time, but um, it's just ultimately not a great film. Um, so there you go. Eve of Destruction is a little bit cheesy, early 90s cheesy. All right, I'm going to, uh, real quickly, before we get into the new movies, I'll just go through these last three on our classic front. Uh, Cohen Film Collection, love these guys. They are just so awesome. They have come out with the Vivian Lee Anniversary Collection. They went to the uh, British Film Institute, found four old uh, Vivian Lee films that had never been released here before from her pre, uh, pre-Gone with the Wind period. British films, because Vivian Lee, of course, was British. For those of you who don't know, that's right. Scarlett O'Hara was British. Not in the movie, but in real life. Uh, of course, the wife at the time of uh, Laurence Olivier. And um, these four films have never, ever, ever been seen by most people. They are now here in fantastic, beautiful 2K restorations in one set, uh, courtesy of the Cohen Film Collection, Fire Over England, Storm in a Teacup, Dark Journey, and St. Martin's Lane. Uh, all of them, absolutely great. i got to be honest with you. All of them, really cool. Uh, I even say all of them are better than Gone with the Wind. Of course, I'm not a fan of Gone with the Wind. And then uh, from 20th Century Fox, the amazing Oscar-winning performance of Joanne Woodward in The Three Faces of Eve. This is, of course, about a woman with a personality disorder, and her performance remains as stunning now as it was then. This was uh, written and directed and produced by Nunley Johnson, and it is a great movie. It is just, uh, it is a really terrific movie. It is, it is even better than Sybil, which I still think is a really good film. And uh, Aubrey Solomon, the film historian, does a wonderful commentary. And uh, you even get a little uh, Fox Movie Tone News thing on the Academy Awards when she won. And she is so charming when she wins. And then all of films, of course, keeps mining these amazing movies from the Paramount uh, catalog. And because Paramount, as we mentioned earlier, doesn't give a crap about their movies. And uh, here you go, Bing Crosby and Ingrid Bergman and the Bells of St. Mary. Leo McCary's all-time great film. This is a, just a super, super movie. And Paramount doesn't give a crap about it. So you get to benefit from Olive Films being really smart about this. This is 1945, a movie that just reeks of all of the emotion that was uh, stirring in the air at the end of World War II. And, uh, you know, it's a, uh, Bing Crosby playing a priest. Isn't that, isn't that perfect? I mean, he had, what, 27 children because he's a good Catholic? Crosby's kind of uh, forgotten, actually. Yeah, but if you're like 22 years old, you know who Bing Crosby you know, if you're, is? If, no. you're, if you're 22 years old, you, I'm going to kill you. 
I'm going to save the next generation all of your, your horribleness. Anyway, Bells of St. Mary's is just a wonderful, wonderful movie. Of course, you know, Ingrid Bergman as a, as a nun, because, of course, you know, she, uh, she had that affair with uh, uh, Roberto Rossellini, which uh, was very nun-like. And then uh, Bing Crosby, you know, who had like 27 children and, and was pretty mean to a lot of them. Uh, that makes him a perfect priest. I'm being cynical. Never mind. Uh, but this is this really is it's a del- it's a lovely lovely film and um, it uh, it deserves to be seen you know widely and thank you all of films for making sure that that will in fact now happen. Uh, all right, Mark, let's get to uh, let's get to new movies. I know, thank you. You know you you are a fan of all of these comedy movies now about the end of the world and whatnot. What was the... What was the oh, well, the, this the is Seth the end. Ro- funny. The Seth Rogen thing. Yeah, this, this is, is the, the end. end. Yeah. That's funny. Yeah. Well, I dare you not like that. Uh, it's fine. Well, this isn't really an end of the world. I mean, it is an end of the world film, but even more than that, it is a Simon Pegg, Nick Frost film. Ah, there we go. That's, uh, you know, an Edgar Wright film. That's really what it is, because Edgar Wright and uh, Simon Pegg and Nick Frost, they do these... You know, these lad films where a bunch of British uh, pinters go and, uh, you know, get drunk and whatever. Yeah. Uh, this is the last of their little trilogy. Uh, the other ones were Shaun of the Dead and Hot Fuzz. This is The World's End. And um, I'm not going to say much about what the film is about because I don't want to give it away. But I have to say that for the first half hour, I was completely in love with this film. I thought this was great. It's, it's about a bunch of guys who, when they were younger, they, uh, in their little small town... They had gone on this all-night drinking bender to all the various pubs in their town, uh, but they never got to the last pub. And it had always haunted the uh, Simon Pegg character that they never got to the last pub and completed this epic pub crawl. And so years later, now that they're in their 30s and whatnot, even their 40s, they, uh, um, Simon decides he is going to get everybody back together and complete the epic pub crawl. So they all go back to their small town, and they all go on this epic pub crawl. And in the middle of the pub, of the pub crawl, something happens. Something that uh, I will not uh, give away, although you can probably tell what it is because you probably know about the movie. And I have to say, once they brought in this other element, I actually found the movie a lot less interesting. Um, there's still some funny lines in it. I'm not always a huge fan of Simon Pegg, but I, I did like him in this. Did you see Attack the Block? Ah, I like that movie. That movie's terrific. Kind of in the same vein, too, yeah. a little bit. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um, I like that movie a lot, actually. All these movies about pikers that uh, don't mess with the pikers. And actually, uh, you realize, Wade, hmm. I have something to tell you that's very exciting. You may not know. What? Joe Cornish, the guy who directed Attack the Block, yeah. you realize that he's first in line to direct Star Trek III. I, d- I just heard that, yeah. Yes, which yeah. I think would be good. I do, too, especially if it's got a bunch of pikers. <laughs> just bring them on. Let them take over the Enterprise. Anyway, World's End, um, I... I got that at the end. Yeah. Uh, anyway, World's End, uh, I would totally rent this. I don't know if I'd buy it unless you, unless you love the other two, Shaun of the Dead and Hot Fuzz. I do like Shaun of the Dead a lot, actually. Uh, anyway, a really terrific rental for a Saturday night. Um, it's a good-looking Blu-ray. Some bonus features, including deleted scenes and outtakes. Always funny outtakes. Commentary by Edgar Wright, Simon Pegg. Very, uh, very entertaining. So, uh, World's End, good stuff. You know, uh, Man of Steel is out now. And uh, Mark and I have very, very, uh, we have interesting feelings about Man of Steel. I say it's conflicted. Yeah, I'm still conflicted. You know, I mean, look, everyone knows that I I have a a real chip on my shoulder about Zack Snyder. I think he's a total hack and unbelievably untalented. Um, But I will say there are some moments here, mostly all the stuff with Kevin Costner, the the Smallville stuff. it's, It's pretty good. It does feel authentic. It does resonate. 
I just ultimately think this movie falls completely uh, into its own colon once once Zod starts invading with his giant army of spaceships. You know, there's something there was something cool in the original Superman and Superman Two about the fact that Zod, Terrence Stamp, is so cool and collected that he is so confident of his own his his ego is so huge that he does just does he doesn't see any reason to sort of extend himself and when they come to earth they don't they they just come with themselves the three of them right and they wreak havoc here he's like god this army of spaceships it's a whole invasion he's you know just this psychotic lunatic as played by michael shannon and he's just he's frothing at the mouth and then they have this battle at the end where they are living it's like 45 minutes it's like 45 minutes they're literally using each other as bowling balls and just knocking down buildings and who knows how many people because are dying it is totally oh, rad it is not, dude don't you know awful. rad and stuff and junk Dude, the way that awful. Superman did the whole thing, and he went into the crowd, and he he, he crashed into the mountain. It was all it, rad, this and cool, is, this and stuff is what, and junk. This is this is what it feels like. They they told David Goyer to do, uh, create a beginning that looks like Avatar, um, a middle that looks like you know, a, 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 a kind of a prologue that looks like Avatar, a first act that looks like Smallville, so people you know who like the TV show will recognize that. And then uh, another act that's a little bit you know sort of traditional Superman, and then at the end just make it a Godzilla movie. It's or, like, or, or a why? Dark Knight film. You know or why? Because, Dark Knight film because Warner Brothers wants their superhero films to be dark because the Marvel films yeah. are fun and cheeky well, anyway. and you know, have a lot of humor in it. Anyway, uh, we've got to hear a Blu-ray DVD ultra, uh, digital HD ultraviolet combo pack and then another one that is a Blu-ray 3D Blu-ray DVD ultraviolet combo pack. The uh, I don't see any necessary reason that the, this film really has to be seen in 3D. I saw it in 3D projected. I've watched the Blu-ray without 3D. Same damn movie. Doesn't make any big difference. Um, some decent extras on here, you know. Uh, mostly featurette material, behind the scenes, this, that, and the other thing. You get to see way too much Zack Snyder here, I, which I could totally do without. Uh, he takes himself way too seriously. But, you know, the behind the scenes stuff, if there's ever a movie where the behind the scenes stuff is interesting, here it is. And it's hours and hours and hours of it. So, I mean, uh, I would, I, you know, probably worth a rental, I would say, this stuff. Probably worth a rental. Yeah. Why not? Sure. You know, yeah, sure. Why not? Give it a, give it a shot. Uh, and then, uh, Mark, are you a fan of David Sedaris? I am, actually. I, I, I do read his stuff, and I do like his stuff. Okay, did you see COG? I did not. Okay. Uh, I, I am not familiar with his stuff. Uh, I was on the radio with Claudia Puig when we talked about the release of this movie, and she is familiar with his stuff, as are, obviously, a lot of other NPR people. I, I, you know, I must have been preaching sacrilege at the time for saying, I'm sorry, I don't know David Sedaris that well. But anyway, apparently this is very faithful to his writing, uh, very faithful to his own autobiographical narrative. I just felt it was kind of pretentious and pointless, to be honest. Um, but again, if so I, I will guardedly say, if you're a David Sedaris fan... This will probably totally hit it with you. The idea here is you've got this college kid who's trying to sort of do something much more earthy, and, and he goes to work on, a, on an apple farm uh, one summer, and uh, you know there's all there's all there's a whole kind of family backdrop. He's estranged from his parents for a certain reason, and he's sort of trying to find himself, and things just don't work out. And all the twists and turns of this very turbulent summer are spelled out in this kind of darkly comedic narrative in COG. 
which I guess, you know, if you don't have Sedaris's voice, you're missing something, but you, you do have a great cast here, which includes, you know, Dean Stockwell, who's briefly very, very good, Dennis O'Hare, who is sensational, who's always sensational. Oh, he's great. That guy is yep. like, he's just, he just, I, he, he just he kills gave- it. He gave one of the best Broadway performances I've ever seen. There was a Broadway show called Take Me Out about, yep. a, gay, about a gay baseball player. Yep. And he was in that show. And I'd never heard him. It was like 10 years ago. I'd never heard of the guy. And he was ferocious. He was so good. Like, who's this guy? He kills it. He kills Dennis it. Dennis O'Hare. Just kills it. Uh, wait, uh, we all love Paul Rudd and yep. we all love Paul Giamatti. But yeah. who knew that they did a movie together? Uh, it came It came and went. <laughs> it, I, I'm not sure this thing was ever released. It's called... Uh, it, it was. It was? Yeah, yeah. It was. I, I, I mean, it's just, it, it was released about four weeks ago. Oh. <laughs> well, it's called All Is Bright, and uh, Giamatti plays a uh, plays this uh, French Canadian guy just out of the pen. He wants to buy his uh, daughter a, a new piano by mm-hmm. selling Christmas trees, uh, and then uh, his partner in selling Christmas trees is uh, Paul Rudd, and uh, they sell Christmas trees, and <laughs> they all have little. You know, they all have little yeah. cross, they all operate across purposes where, where, you know, Paul Rudd character is sleeping with Paul Giamatti's wife. Uh, Sarah, uh, uh, Sally Hawkins is also in the film. Um, I love Sally Hawkins. Sally Hawkins is great. Uh. You know what? The, 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 this is one of those films that you feel like it could have been a lot better, and there's definitely something there, but it never really came together that much. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, there's, some, there's some dark stuff in it, there's some endearing stuff in it, um, there's some kind of that funny, sad thing going on where you, everything feels a little bit uh, dark and dire. Yeah. Um, but yet Giamatti and Paul Rudd are so comedic and engaging that it keeps it from being too dark. Um, but ultimately, it's just a little bit. Uh, it's a little bit um, too offbeat for me. A little bit too uneven for me. Um, so, you know what? I would say, forget it. Okay. That's what I would say. Well, there we go. Unless you totally love Paul Giamatti. I, well, I, I like Paul Giamatti an awful lot, and he's awfully good in uh, Mr. Banks, isn't he? Come on, give oh, it up. Yeah. Oh, he's sure. great there. A couple of animated films. Uh, one is DreamWorks Turbo, uh, which is, uh, oh, it's about, it's about a snail. You get it? Turbo, he's a snail, because turbos are fast and snails are slow, and it's a little uh, counterpoint thing. I don't know. The, the whole idea here is kind of, it's sort of a Finding Nemo-y, uh, it's a Bugs Life-y thing, and... I, I get tired of the animated movies about the the little misfit, whether it's a frickin' mouse or, you know, a ratatouille or whoever the misfit is. It's always some damn animal misfit looking to find themselves in the great big world. And here we have a snail, and it's uh, it's just not all that interesting. It's two, disc, uh, two, two discs in the set. One is the uh, Blu-ray, one is the DVD and digital copy. And I just don't find this movie well animated or t- particularly well written. The other one here, of course, is the Disney film Planes, uh, which they are rather shameless in saying from above the world of cars. But this is not a Pixar film. The Cars movies are Pixar films. This is the uh, other Disney team, the B team, that do their, I guess, their television animation. They had the whole thing turned over to them to do this spin-off from the Pixar world where, you know, you're doing Planes in the Cars style. And um, I know a lot of people thought this was better than Cars. I don't, I don't really see the point of this. It's just, it's, it's more cute mechanical creatures with faces. You're, you're you know, anthropomorphizing um, engine-driven vehicles. And I, I'm, I was kind of over that with Cars. Cars 2 was too much, and I don't see that this makes it any, any less annoying or kind of uh, belaboring the whole concept. Anyway, 
a lot of extras here, uh, you know, uh, all the usual kind of stuff that you get on an animated uh, set. This is Blu-ray, Blu-ray 3D and DVD and digital copy. Digital copy, of course, is the Disney digital copy, not ultraviolet. So you're, they're still not on board with uh, with everybody else. But I don't know. It's, I mean, it's well, it's well done. It's well animated. It looks good, but it's a great Blu-ray. But I just don't see the point. Uh, speaking of Don't See the Point, Paradise is the uh, directing debut of Oscar-winning screenwriter uh, Diablo Cody. This stars uh, Julianne Huff, who is very pretty but very bland. I don't really get her as an actress, although, other than the fact that she's uh, cute. Uh, Russell Brand, Octavia Spencer, and uh, for some reason Holly Hunter in this film, uh, which I did not like at all. Um, Julianne Huff plays a, a girl who uh, she gets into this almost fatal accident. And she decides to bust out of her little, you know, God-fearing Montana, little little small town, and go to Vegas, where now that she survived this fatal accident, she can start, uh, you know, checking off her uh, bucket list of sins to really live life. The problem with all these Diablo Cody movies is that um, everybody talks the same quippy way, mm-hmm. you know. And I'm sorry, but when you when when you're a, a girl living in a small Montana town where all you do is just go to church and fear God, you're not going to talk like Diablo Cody talks. You're not going to talk in super quips. Totally true. And I just, it felt phony from the start, and uh, I'm just not into it. So I would probably pass on Paradise. Um, David Gordon Green directs uh, Prince Avalanche with Paul Rudd and Emile Hirsch. This is kind of an interesting film that kind of went, uh, it kind of went nowhere. I don't know why this film didn't go anywhere, but um, it's an interesting movie. It's... Um, you know, David Gordon Green has kind of had a uh, up and down career. This film, I kind of feel, kind of puts him puts him back on the right track. It's kind of a, it's kind set, of a, he's like halfway back to his roots a little bit. Well, Rudd and Hirsch are very good. Yeah, um, and the movie is funny, and um, I just thought that um, it's kind of like very I don't, know, I don't know what's the word like meditative, you know? Yeah. And you get a bunch of guys there. There, it's it's like in the late eighties. They're um, painting traffic lines on a county highway, and um, they, while they're doing that, they sort of bicker, and they goof on each other, and they talk about their relationships, and it's kind of a bit of a buddy movie, where the buddies just sort of sit on a highway and paint lines. Okay. But that being said, there's a lot of charming stuff in it, and uh, uh, Green wrote it, so you know there's going to be some insightful stuff going on. And I'm glad he's back doing this stuff and not doing the crap he was doing. Um, and it's also a good Blu-ray, by the way. There's, uh, there's deleted scenes. Um, there's a bunch of featurettes on it. There's an interview with David Gordon Green. So you may want to give it a whirl if you like Paul Rudd. All right. We've got to really hustle up here so we can uh, finish up the show. We are getting uh, over time. Uh, let's see. We're the Millers. Is just a disastrous, horrible, horrible movie that uh, I think Jennifer Aniston and Jason Sudeikis probably regret actually having agreed to do. Uh, the idea here is that Jason Sudeikis is a small-time drug dealer who puts together this phony family to um, kind of, uh, you know, smuggle drugs under the guy. I mean, the family is like his alibi, right? It's his cover for executing his drug smuggling operation. It's not funny. It's not even remotely funny. It's, it's, it's trying to sort of be a, uh, a phony version of vacation with like a phony family and a drug plot, and it's just not funny. And this is a Blu-ray DVD digital copy, uh, uh, ultraviolet digital HD set, 
and uh, I just can't recommend this on any level whatsoever. Two Guns, I do recommend, believe it or not. I thought this was a surprisingly great movie. Denzel Washington and Mark Wahlberg uh, in a Baltazar Cormacore movie. The, uh, I thought this movie was not bad. Not this bad. This movie was not bad. Not bad at all, man. Uh, really, really cool. They, Denzel Washington and Mark Wahlberg basically play a couple of law enforcement agents from different agencies who uh, come together when a... Uh, they're trying to take down a drug cartel, but everybody's being played by everybody else in this movie. And I give you nothing else, but it's really pretty cool. Uh, it's really pretty cool the way it all kind of works out and sorts out. And uh, you could not get a better couple of guys for their chemistry. Mark Wahlberg and Denzel Washington really, really, really just kill it with their chemistry. That is a fantastic Blu-ray. looks really, really good. And then, uh, before I let Mark wrap out the new movies, uh, the to-do list is a horrible, dreadful, unfunny, miserable uh, attempt uh, for Audrey Plaza to try and become a movie star. It is just dreadful. Uh, the idea here is that she's this like valedictorian who is a virgin and she doesn't want to go to college until she loses her virginity. So uh, she, that's on her to-do list of all of these you know, sexual things uh, that she's got to do before she gets to college. And it's just dreadful. Uh, there's nothing funny about this. Nothing even remotely clever about it. Um, this was uh, written and directed by Maggie Carey who uh, is really, she's done a lot of television, but the, her, claim, her big claim to fame here is that she is married to Bill Hader, who just recently stepped away from uh, Saturday Night Live and has a brief part in this movie. Kind of a, well, it's not a brief part. It's a, it's a, it's a fairly substantial supporting part, but he's not the star, obviously. But forget about it. I've already said too much about it. It's on Blu-ray, and uh, I see no reason to recommend this movie to anybody. Oh, wait, real quick. Uh, I Declare War is a strange little film that doesn't quite work for me. It's a combination of uh, Lord of the Flies and uh, maybe The Hunger Games and uh, maybe some Bugsy Malone. Uh, it's about these uh, preteens who play Capture the Flag in the Woods. And that's what it's about. Now, the game isn't for real. It's all sticks and paintballs and fake guns and whatnot, but still it gets pretty uh, intense. Um, as one quote-unquote army leads itself against another quote-unquote army. So, um, you know, there's some definitely some thematic uh, stuff going on here about adolescence and growing up and, and, and entering adulthood. Um, I, I don't, and also sexism and homophobia and whatever that kind of stuff, and it gets into kind of racism and even sadism, for, even though they're preteens. So there's some provocative stuff that they think is going on here, but actually does, does not come together for me. Finally, is Ambush with Dolph Lundgren, Vinnie Jones, and Randy Couture, the best film you'll ever see from 1989. Yeah. It has Dolph Lundgren in it. Um, this is a movie where Dolph Lundgren uh, does a bunch of guns uh, stuff and Randy <laughs> Jones has a crazy haircut and Randy Couture tries to convince everyone he's a real actor, but he's not. So, uh, you know, this is just more crap where, like, you know, there's a DEA agent and uh, somebody's double-crossed and the bad guys are uh, losing or, or taking over the streets and just the same old crap. Ambushed. The end. All right. And wrapping things out, we got a handful of foreign films that, we, uh, that you've got to get. This is, uh, this is the end of the show and this is some of the best stuff you're going to get this week. Uh, Criterion has released a, a, a dual-format edition. This is the new thing from Criterion. you got to know this. Uh, they are now doing all of their major movies as Blu-ray and DVD combo releases. This is, this is new for Criterion, so everything you, got, you buy is going to be Blu-ray and DVD combo. This is uh, Ozu's Tokyo Story, his masterpiece in a combo Blu-ray DVD set that is just gorgeous to look at. The 1953 classic film. 
Uh, it is, it's just one of the greatest films ever made. It is absolutely gorgeous. And it also includes, among the tons and tons and tons of awesome extras, uh, the, uh, the documentary from 1983 on the life of Ozu and career called I Lived But. And it is wonderful. It is just the complete... Uh, everything you need to know about Ozu is there. You also get a, a commentary from the Ozu scholar David Desser, uh, who edited uh, Ozu's Tokyo Story, and I, I got to tell you, it's just uh, you, you can watch this thing for hours and hours and hours and just not get sick of it. It is a wonderful set, must have. Uh, Cohen Media is also releasing uh, Ziad Dueri's The Attack, which is a fantastic film that uh, we actually gave. I was on the jury at uh, Colcoa again this year, and we uh, we gave this film our uh, our top award. It's a, it's a great movie. You're thinking, well, wait, it's a French film festival, and this isn't a French. It's a French film, actually, because uh, Ziad Dueri is a uh, he holds a French passport. But uh, that being said, the film is a pal- an Israeli-Palestinian story about a surgeon who is a Palestinian working in Israel, who finds out some something related to a bombing that pertains to his life, and he goes on this investigative journey to unravel all these secrets that uh, he he just can't believe are actually real. And it is, uh, it is a great film. It is devastatingly well put together, beautifully written, excellent, uh, excellent direction. And uh, a really interesting interview with Ziad Dueri, who I had the privilege of meeting at the festival. And uh, this is absolutely first rate here. So you definitely want to check that out. The uh, Alexander Sokorov film Russian Ark, which is all one continuous take. A mind-boggling, single, continuous-take movie uh, that must have been rehearsed until the nth degree is finally out from Kino on Blu-ray and DVD. And uh, that is a... It's, it's, it's a bit of a mind-boggling thing. It also includes the 43-minute documentary about how they actually did it. And it is a gorgeous Blu-ray. You definitely got to check it out. Uh, it, it's just, I mean, you know, as to what it's about, well, yeah, it's, it's just going through the Hermitage, the famous museum in St. Petersburg, but... It's 96 minutes of a single tracking shot. That's what makes this movie worth seeing. It's a bit of a gimmick, but it is so monumentally impressive, it'll blow your mind. Uh, Murnau's Nosferatu, the classic silent film, the, uh, the great vampire film from uh, uh, the, uh, the silent era, 1922, is out from Kino in a special edition, uh, a remastered edition, two discs on Blu-ray and two discs on DVD. Of course, the uh, the Blu-ray is the one you want to get because they really, really, really just killed it here. This is a brand new 35mm high-definition archival restoration um, by the Friedrich Wilhelm Murnau Stiftung, which is the, you know, Murnau archival uh, organization. And uh, it's just absolutely superb. You also get some great extras here. The original 1922 score, uh, The Language of Shadows from 2007, which is a documentary on the making of the film, and then a whole lot of really cool excerpts from a lot of other movies that uh, Murnau had made. And uh, the transfer here is beautiful. Other releases of Nosferatu on DVD and Blu-ray have been horrendous. They've been from just miserable, horrible, dreadful, awful uh, uh, elements. But that one is first rate. And then, uh, almost last, before I give you our little Thanksgiving recommendation, is the 25th, an- uh, 25th anniversary edition of Akira, uh, which is being remade as a, as a live-action film, they, they keep saying. But this is the Blu-ray-DVD combo pack from Funimation of the amazing anime classic Akira, which uh, still is just the, 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 the vision, the futuristic dystopian vision of Neo-Tokyo is one of the best things you will ever see in animation, one of the best things you'll ever see in Japanese animation. It's absolutely awesome. 
Uh, and uh, Funimation has just killed it with this. It is an absolutely beautiful, uh, beautiful transfer to uh, Blu-ray. Tons of extras here, including uh, featurettes on uh, the writing and storyboards, restoration, and a whole bunch of the original commercials, which are really cool. Uh, the original trailers are also here, but it's the commercials that are ju I just thought were just so, just really cool. Uh, took, me, took me back a little bit. Anyway, that is 124 minutes of pure bliss. And with that, I'm going to give you a Thanksgiving recommendation, a documentary from uh, the TMW Media Group, the Tell Me Why Media Group, called The Pilgrim Fathers. And uh, it, it helps sometimes on Thanksgiving to uh, remind yourself if you are in the United States, if you're an American. I know a lot of our, uh, our listeners aren't, but if you are, it helps to remind yourself sometimes of the, uh, the actual backstory, the historical backstory of Thanksgiving. And uh, to go all the way back to the Puritans and the Mayflower, not a bad idea. So uh, this is something you might want to take to whatever your uh, Thanksgiving dinner is and, and throw it on in the background so people can watch it and talk about it. It's definitely worth, uh, definitely worth a look. The Pilgrim Fathers from uh, TMW Media Group. Definitely worth a look. And with that, we are done. And again, we are going to be off for uh, next week. And we will be back at the beginning of December with our holiday gift guide and lots of awesome stuff on that show. That's going to be an awful lot of fun. We're going to talk about books then, too, Mark. we got books. book, re book recommendations. Books? books are, you know what you look at on your Kindle? Right. Imagine if you could print it out. Why would I want that? I don't know.